Welcome to Birth Stories in Color, a podcast creating community for people of color to share and learn from birth stories of all types. We're your hosts, Laurel Gurrier and Danielle Jackson. Today we have joining us Dr. Nicole Carter. Um, we are very thrilled to have her sharing um, the journey of Hughes Women's Health Institute. So let's just start it off by, can you start by telling you a little bit about yourself and your family? Yeah, so um, I'm Nicole Carter, born and raised actually in Detroit, Michigan. Uh, and uh, let's see, <laughs> I was raised uh, by a single <clears throat> a single parent, a uh, single father, actually. And um, and he is the reason why I do so much of uh, what I do um, in attempting to advocate for other people. He was a Detroit public school teacher or uh, and he still is actually uh, coaching track from time to time, even in his late 70s. Uh, so he has always been an advocate for the community and things like that. And so, uh, he instilled the importance of doing those things. Um, but, uh, related to some of the work that I do, um, he was a single parent because my mother, uh, passed away when I was, uh, seven from an aneurysm, a sudden thing that happened. Um, and that is kind of like, uh, really the drive behind the work that I do. Um, and more about me, like personally, uh, I am, uh, someone who is surviving and thriving with multiple, uh, autoimmune diseases. And again, that is connected to the work that I do. Um, my family, uh, I so when I when I read that I was gonna have to answer this question, I was like, oh, I don't know what to say because it's just me. But then I have cats. Uh, but <clears throat> I also like to think that uh, I I was an an educator in higher education for the last fourteen years prior to starting Hughes. And I truly believe that the students that I worked with, particularly uh, women of color, and even more specifically, uh, the young Black women that I worked with on uh, campus were actually my family. They still reach out to me. I still assist them when needed. And it's also a reciprocal relationship. So you know, I am thoroughly pleased when I see that they are successful. Um, and yeah, I just, they're, they're my family as well. Um, I'm also part of a sorority. And so um, we are family, particularly my line sisters. Um, and then some of the people that I've uh, met along the way throughout that, that journey. So uh, yeah, that's that's my family. <laughs> and then, like I said, my dad and my my stepmother and I have a niece that um, my um, stepmother and father have uh, guardianship over. And so uh, I also like I, I call my I mean, I tend to believe that I am like the fabulous auntie as well. So <laughs> but that is me. <laughs> you fabulous claim it 
no, I think I think it, it speaks volumes about how we create family, right? We create our village, and especially mm-hmm. when we're in service work or advocacy work, and we are so embedded in the community that many of those relationships turn into an extension of our family. Um, I mean, Danny and I say all the time, like for many of our doula clients, their children are four or five. And we're like, "Um, I ain't getting no pictures this week. Where are my babies at? (laughs) So, yes, it is very much. I wouldn't have been able to, I don't believe, survive here without meeting so many different people, not just the people in uh, my sorority, but also people who I worked with that became that became family um and people that I'm newly you know like they're there's someone I met uh, I think it was last year we talk every single day and that person has become like my family particularly because I did not get diagnosed with those autoimmune diseases that I mentioned until I moved here um, seven years, uh, it was about six and a half years ago that I was diagnosed. And so you cannot survive those, those different things without, um, without, you know, family, um, and, and other, you know, your other networks of folks. So, and chosen family, that's the word. I was exactly. Yep. Of, yep. But. Our chosen family, um, as we, as we grow, as things come up in our lives, I think that also it shifts about what that extension looks like, um, what chosen family we need to tap into. So yeah, it speaks volumes. Um, well, thank you for sharing about your family. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So what started Hughes Women's Health Advocacy Institute? So it started in uh, July 2022 after leaving um, a career in higher education. Um, I taught in sociology, African and African-American studies and uh, women and gender studies. And uh, I also directed a center where I advocated for women on campus, uh, tried to advance policy, tried to... um, you know, provide resources for uh, women on campus, including um, student parents as well and caregivers. Um, But I found more and more as I was doing that work that I was committed and dedicated to women of color specifically. And when I say women of color, I'm really speaking of Black, Indigenous, and women of color. So uh, I like to say women of color of every hue. That's why and that's why it's called Hughes. Uh, but <clears throat> so but I uh, it's very interesting. When I got diagnosed with Crohn's in 2016, I met uh, I think it was three students, a woman of color uh, who had Crohn's and they had just got diagnosed. And it was like uh, very interesting. So as I, you know, traversed through that um Uh, through my time at that institution, I found more and more that uh, women of color, staff, faculty, and students um, were struggling. So particularly if we talk about students, 
um, it's already a struggle to be a woman of color in an institution that was not created for you to be there in the first place. But then to have to then navigate illness at the same time or um, stressors, um, mental health, um, navigate healthy pregnancies as well. Because I said, I mentioned I worked with um, student parents um, and work with their families, you know, as well. Um, because that was, that was one thing that always came up when it came to working with women of color, their families were always involved regardless of it being, uh, you know, on campus or off campus. And that was something that was not understood by leadership. And, um, <clears throat> you know, like it was a very structured, you don't, those are things we don't, you know, those relationships, we don't talk to the family, you you deal with the student and you can't do that. Like that's, I mean, we are whole persons with whole communities behind us. These students would not be on a college campus without their parents, without grandparents, without the chosen family behind them supporting them, often paying for them to be there. <clears throat> so um, it was just, uh, it became more and more difficult to uh, show up every day in that position when I knew that it was something else I was being called to do. So um, I had been thinking about Hughes, or I didn't even call it that then, but I had been thinking about creating a nonprofit for a while. Um, and I was going back and forth between should this be like just a business because I have other businesses like LLCs and I'm like, should it just be a LLC? And I was like, no, because there are so many things that I know I can do in the community. And I, and hope, you know, hoped that I would obtain support from the community to do that work and collaborate in a way that as a business, you can't really do. Um, and, and, and so uh, what happened was when my friends and students would tell me about their experiences navigating uh, medical, you know, the medical system and also wellness system. So like holistic practices, um, things like that, uh, they would talk about their struggles and I would talk with them about navigating those struggles. And so <clears throat> I started to keep track of the kind of like the best, I guess you would call best practices for navigating those spaces um, as women of color. So what, is, what does it look like to advocate for yourself um, when someone tells you or minimizes your paying level? What does that look like? So... <clears throat> That became the basis of Hughes. I said a lot, but <laughs> that became the basis of Hughes. Um, and that was essentially the goal at first was to uh, teach self-advocacy skills for um, women, women of color, uh, BIPOC women navigating health systems. And then it kind of expanded. <laughs> because uh, there's so much to do. So I, I, I didn't mention this, but I'm so I also have a public health background as well. And so I started doing 
it's like a simultaneous background. And so I started, but I started researching the advocacy skills. um, But I came across a post on social media by Woke Doctor on Instagram. And it uh, basically said, we're always trying to um, uh, explore social determinants of health by monitoring and changing the health behaviors of patients we never focus on providers. And so then I was like, well, I'm about to start focusing on providers because that's the problem. That's the problem. So uh, one of the largest components of Hughes is the Blooming Circle Institute. Uh, It's a provider institute to teach um, providers in, the uh, greater Dayton and Ohio area. There are people in it from Michigan as well. Um, And so it's an institute to teach them how to um, provide care in a way that is inclusive and equitable, but specifically provide care that is centered on the histories, experiences, and, and lives of BIPOC women. And so currently there are 71 people enrolled in that uh, pilot (laughs) and it just launched in October. Um, And it is a pilot because I'm, I'm kind of assessing, I want to assess what is working and what is not working and what I can improve about it. Um, But that is like a major, I would say success, (laughs) success of Hughes, um, particularly being a brand new, uh, organization, but um, and I now am committed to making sure that providers, like holding providers accountable, and making sure that they are not just this institute, but making sure that they are continuously educating themselves on the needs of women of color. So, um, but yeah, I'm sorry that was a long. Response, no, it's exactly but... <laughs> what it needed to be. <laughs> There's so, but within that, there's so many things that I, I love. Um, there's this, I love when you were talking about like the beginnings of Hughes and there being this, especially um, people in college, right? Like this for us, from the black community, from the um, black and brown community, our families, whether chosen families or <clears throat> our actual families have a really big impact in decision-making for us. Um, And so when we do step onto these campuses, there's this disconnect for them of what that actually means. So, you know, there's this point of us wanting to find our independence, but also, like you said, for some of us, we got to this space because of our families, right? So there is going to be this like checking in or this like, yeah, I have something to say about this. Um, And so being Mm -hmm. able to teach those skills, I think for, for us to, um, find the ways to be a leader in our own advocacy um, while also um, utilizing how our family can support us in that. Um, and then I love how you said not only thinking about the medical spaces, but the wellness spaces, because there is, especially now, this like huge turnaround to holistic care um, that in some spaces has been whitewashed. So finding a way to make sure that our, um, 
our traditional practices, our cultural practices, and who we are are still able to show up in that. And I just love that you're teaching all of yeah. that all around. And then also this shift of like, yeah, we can advocate for ourselves, but if the providers aren't doing what they're supposed to do, what how how far can we go with yeah, that? Right. So <laughs> right. And I'm, you know, I have personal experiences as a, like, not only was I keeping track of students and other, like my friends and my stepmother, you know, like, um, and their experiences and learning what worked and what didn't work. But I also have my firsthand experiences, like having to say, I don't want to work with this doctor anymore. So I need you to get me a new doctor. And being having pushback, being seen as a B, you know, like a B, uh, you know, and it's like I'm. If that is what you want to call me, that's fine. But I'm living. I'm living. I'm not gonna die, and I'm not gonna die at the hands of somebody who minimizes my voice and my experiences, my pain. When I tell you that something is going on, you attribute it. Well, maybe you should go see. No, I'm seeing you. And you're somebody who's supposed to give, you know, like care for this condition. So let's talk about it. So like, or <clears throat> like even right now, because of, you know, everything that's happening, the economy, um, ongoing multiple uh, pandemics that are happening, there is... You know, there's a uh, there are people who have left health uh, related industries. They're not <clears throat> working in these spaces anymore. And so, um, for example, um, I struggled with um, lupus related symptoms. I have lupus as well, but I struggled with lupus related symptoms for two years, I think. Um, was tested. I had to go all the way actually where you are <laughs> to, uh, so like an hour away to even begin getting care or like somebody to listen to me. And she was a woman of color, but then she left during the pandemic. She left the practice. And so, and I didn't even know. <clears throat> so one that was on so that was a lack of communication, which is often an issue for all patients, really, right? But um, for me, it's like we need to we need to communicate. And I didn't know she left, uh, so that's a, a, a interpersonal issue. But that's also an organizational issue. You should have alerted all of her patients. So then. It took eight months, no, nine months to even get an appointment here. And in, in so I'm in the Dayton area. It took nine months. So when I say like I'm sick, going to the hospital, they don't know what's wrong, can't function really because, you know, like I don't have nutrient, proper nutrients. I'm tired all the time, fatigued. It shouldn't take nine months. Like, People die from lupus, you know, like complications of lupus. And I, it was also misdiagnosed. She told me I had something that I did not have. She told me I had rheumatoid arthritis and, and then came back once I was able to get in. And then, then you got to wait on the results, right? And so once I was able to get in, get the testing, then two weeks later, 
right, come back and then finally have a follow-up based on the results. It's like, you have lupus. Like, it's all the clear signs, the blood work. Uh, it's lupus. And so, you know, um, I think sometimes we're fearful as people seeking care. So I also don't like the term patient either. So I, I, I tend to not try to, I don't use it often. So I like a person seeking care or woman seeking care. Um, but so when somebody is seeking care or in need of care, uh, we're often afraid of the, you know, like the outcome of what, what the diagnoses, but uh, every time I've been diagnosed with something because I struggled so hard prior to that diagnosis, um, it was like a relief. Like, finally, somebody, I can get help now. Like, you know what I'm saying? But even with the my current doctor now, I, we've had, we had a time. You hear me? Like, going back, uh-uh, come back in this room. I'm not done talking to you. Come on back. I have some questions. I've had a doctor say, well, you have a PhD. You can read it. I, I don't have an MD. Like that's, I mean, also I don't have a specialization in your area. And this was a woman of color. This was a woman of color, which made it worse. And <clears throat> so for me, I'm so vocal, you know, um, another thing I get from my dad <laughs> and I'm so like, and at that time I was so hurt. Like I was hurting, like. <laughs> Physically, you know what I'm saying? Like I, when I got diagnosed uh, with Crohn's, well, face, first of all, I started having symptoms when I was finishing my PhD. So that was like the year before I moved. Well, the, it was like the spring before I moved to Ohio. I lost almost 70 pounds. So obviously it's something, you know, my hair was falling out. Because uh, I'm lacking nutrients, couldn't hold anything down at all. I was pale. Um, so not to get too like uh, scientific, but like when uh, so some of the autoimmune diseases when you uh, have them, and particularly uh, um, like IBDs, uh, you often get um, extra. Uh, intestinal intestinal manifestations. And so it's like um, manifestations of that disease on other parts of your body. And so I started getting like sores in my mouth and I'm trying, I'm going to doctors every week, like hospitalized, right? Um, infections in my mouth because, well, your bowels, like it's connected. It's all, you know, your intestines connected to your your throat to your mouth, um, esophagus. And so it was like sores, ulcers. They just like, you have a uh, IBS. Nah, that's not, that's not IBS. I kept going back. I mean, when I say I, first of all, I was in so much debt at that time. Cause I kept going back. I'm like, this is not working. And, and then finally, let me tell you, finally, uh, I went to an urgent care, a urgent care, which they don't, they're, they don't do all that, you know, like they're not. And she's like, no, this is something, something's wrong. Something's wrong. Uh, I have a friend at Dayton Gastro 
I'm gonna get you in. She looked at my mouth. Also, the the in, uh, manifestations were on my legs, so I started getting these red, like ulcers on my legs, which is a thing with people with uh, Crohn's and ulcerative colitis. Uh, and she's like, "Nope, this is something different." And but it takes. And so when I talk about hues, um, and I call it the blooming circle of advocates um, as an initiative, that's part of hues. But when I talk about Hughes, I uh, say that it takes one. Um, so I, I call it the blooming circle and I like compare it to a flower because a flower takes one gene to help it bloom. And so I truly believe it takes one person to advocate for you, one person to say, no, this don't sound right to me. No, let me reach out to this person. No, let me take a little bit more time. You know what I'm saying? Like it took one person to say something's off and I'm not feeling, I don't, I don't, and it was a woman of color. So it's, I, I have different experiences too with women of color. So, but this was a Latino woman and she's like, no, this looks, I, I, I have an idea of what this could be but I'm going to reach out to some of my friend at Dayton Castro. Immediately, even though that doctor that I started seeing at Dayton Castro uh, was one of the people I had a, a huge problem with um, at first, uh, she immediately came back and said, mm, you have so much scarring in your intestines that it looks like you've had Crohn's for May, at least three, four years. But she's the one who said the thing with the, you can read it yourself. But we, we're better now. We're better. We had a sit down conversation because so, and learning about those protocols, like those, the steps to advocate, to advocate for myself. Uh, one of the things I've always learned is that she has a supervisor and it's an unlikely supervisor. We think doctors are, they're just doctors and nobody, you know, like they're over their own. Nope. When you work in a facility, when you work at a clinic, when you work at a, you know, a practice, there is somebody supervising that practice. And so I, it's actually usually a nurse. So, or um, a nurse practitioner. And so I reached out to the office manager. They had two. One, the first time nobody responded back. Um, I actually went up there. And I was like, I need to talk to somebody today. And we had a sit down conversation and it changed the relationship. And then she scheduled a, a like a mediation between me and that doctor because I really wanted her to be my doctor. She was a woman of color. Like, I don't, I, I'm giving you the benefit of the doubt. I know that you're busy because doctors are overwhelmed. People are not going into these fields anymore. Um, you know, I know that as an organization, they probably have you taxed like, I, okay, see the next person now. Come on, next person. And, but that doesn't work for me. So, and so she apologized and now we're better. <laughs> uh, what, seven years later. So, but yeah, that was a whole to do. Yeah. Yes. Right. Um, and so being able to know those steps 
to be able to do that, right? Like to even know, yes, there's a supervisor that you can reach out to. Um, but before I get back to, before I continue on that, I, I want to go back a little bit when you were saying about like um, people seeking care, there being this hesitation about the results. And I just think about like your journey to getting your results, right? So it takes so much time and energy that by the time you get to the point of finding an answer, the amount of work and energy and life that you have put into that without having providers focusing in and remembering, like, like you said, yes, we know providers are overworked. They are in a, and they are also in a system, especially for um, those in our community, how even more, how even more detrimental that can be for, for them. But the lack of, um, respect that this is a, per, a, a a person coming to you who has a life, who has a community and just wants answers. So how can we meet them and give them the attentive mm-hmm. care that they need so that we can find the answers, right? Or refer them to someone else. And I love how you said, um, and I love how, how the blooming um, circles came about, but right, like if you have that one person who can just take the time um, to get you what you need, um, how much, how that can shift your overall care. And we talk about that all the time, even in the birthing space, right? Um, we just need to be, listen, hear us, <laughs> um, value please what we listen. are coming to. Please, please listen, that part. <laughs> That's it. Well, listen, listening and hearing is often also listening to tone, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Like listening to nonverbals. Like I, I have a really great, so actually my family, uh, provider is a nurse practitioner and, um, I'll say over time, our, the, the, uh, time that she has taken has changed because our schedule has changed. And she also is a full-time professor as well now, but the one thing about her was that it's like she listened to the nonverbals. She saw in my face something was wrong. Because I I talk about physical illness a lot. But when you have chronic illness, um, and you don't even have to have illness. You know what I'm saying? Because this is, this is like about maintaining health as well and wellness. And so it's just about when you are... When you are a woman of color navigating life, there are also mental and emotional stressors. And so I have had really great experiences with physicians and uh, nurse practitioners. Actually, I've had better experiences with nurse, nurse practitioners, which is interesting. But uh, nurse practitioners saying something doesn't feel right to me about what you're saying. Like, I want you to talk to somebody. Um, I don't want you to leave here without talking to somebody. You know, because although the auto, like the autoimmune diseases are a huge part of my life, my mental health has, I would not be where I am without that, again, that one advocate, that one person who said, Sit, let's sit down and talk. Uh-uh. Nope. And fortunately, every single, so I'm going to tell y'all, I go to therapy every Tuesday, every Tuesday. 
I have had a really good experience because every therapist has been a woman of color, which is rare. Um, but uh, when you have, again, when you have chronic illness, um, even like, you know, during, um, during pregnancy, uh, after pregnancy, it's like, I'm, I'm part of, um, I don't know if you've heard, heard of it, but Queens Village Dayton. Uh, there's also a, a Queens Village in um, Cincinnati as well, <clears throat> but it's specifically geared towards um, uh, women, um, those who are parents, birthing, pregnant, um, and those who have um, been impacted by infant loss um, as well. And so... Um, and that's one of the things I always like, kind of like one of the things I do is like the educational component, like how can we educate about different factors and resources, but I'm also extremely, um, dedicated to focusing on, um, postpartum care and mental health as it, you know, those two connected things and, so that's another another aspect. And so a lot of times, one of the things that I am, uh, one of the reasons why I uh, advocate for the relationship between wellness and medical care or uh, health in that, in that institute, for example, um, is because, and really spiritual care, um, is because if you're just treating, if you're just looking at somebody as a body, then you're not really treating them. You're not caring for them. So you might be treating them. I'll take that back. <clears throat> but you're not caring for them because you're not caring for the whole person. And so um, one of the things that happens, again, I keep trying to say this and then I move on to something else. But one of the things that happens when you are uh, navigating autoimmune diseases is that uh, the uh, incidence of depression and anxiety heighten mm -hmm. tremendously, um, not only because of the pain associated with those autoimmune diseases, but it just takes a toll on you know, your mental health and kind of uh, you go through a grieving process of like the body and the person you used to be. And now you're somebody else. Um, say, I'm sure the same, I don't have children, but I'm sure the same thing mm -hmm. happens with parents, right? Yep. Like uh, birthing people. And so um, like, it's like a, it's a, well, and for so many, it's a, it's supposed to be a wonderful experience to have a child, right? And <clears throat> for many it is, but it's a it's a grieving of the body mm -hmm. you used to know, the <laughs> the freedom you used mm -hmm. to have, right? Like the like Yeah, you're a different person. We say it all the time. Yeah, you're a different person. And so the same is true for someone who navigates life able to just like wake up and like go and have all the energy. And then one day it starts to wane and you're like, why is it waning? And it's like, well, you got lupus. That's why. 
right? Like, and so if you don't grieve the, that if you don't go through that process, it, it, it can take a toll on, um, your mental health. And so that's really what happened to me, but also being in spaces that were toxic where, um, you know, people were not, not only were they not accepting of the fact that I showed up as my full self with diseases and I was vocal about them, it was like I had to mute who I was. And so, uh, of course, then the mental health stuff starts to come about because who am I talking to? It's just me here, you know? So, um, but yeah, I don't know why I even started talking. Yeah, this happens <laughs> a lot. So there's a purpose. There's a purpose. <laughs> well, you have you have hit on a little bit throughout um, sharing about how you started the ways that you support the community. So let's um, let's kind of go through like what are the ways um, that you are supporting the community and and supporting people. So um, the first is actually, um, like I mentioned, the Provider Institute, because I do de- I truly believe that it is important for providers to, um, to learn um, and reflect upon and um, implement ways to inclusively um, and equitably uh, care for so again, not treat, but care for um, the folks who are coming to them needing care, those seeking care, um, but particularly BIPOC women seeking care and needing care. Um, so that's one major thing. But the interesting thing that happens that I'm learning when I'm reviewing like the assessments, evaluations and stuff like that, because each week it's a seven week um, program. So each week or really seven module, I'll say that seven module program. And so each time someone completes it, it's like I look through the, you know, the evaluations just to see a little bit of the feedback. And it's like, not only is it informing their practice, but it's also informing them as a per as people, you know, as people who are also navigating care. And so it's giving them the resources. So that's one. The other is, uh, well, there are several. So um, the other is um, the creation, which is like really just in a, the planning stages right now of it's called knowledge of health. Um, and so instead of knowledge of self, uh, based upon like, uh, the components of hip hop culture. And so knowledge of self, um, uh, web series, and it will feature conversations kind of like this, but, uh, really conversations, um, but not a podcast. So a video, like a, a YouTube, um, web series where um, BIPOC women talk about the ways that they have advocated for themselves in medical and wellness spaces. Um, and so um, that's a component um, that is that uh, we are working on. And, um, and we have received a little bit of funding to 
kind of um, bring to life. And so um, that's extremely important. Um, but one that I'm excited about um, is uh, the directory. It's called the In the Meantime directory. And so um, it is a resource and provider directory. And so currently, I think there are 20 people listed. Um, and my goal, I have a, a lofty goal, is to get 300 people um, and or organizations listed in the directory. Um, and it is uh, an inclusive resource and provider directory. Um, and in it, when you sign up, there is a series of questions that you respond to. They are, some of them are specifically about how you care for um, BIPOC women or women of color. And so the goal is to create or curate a directory that is specifically uh, in existence for BIPOC women um, to have as a resource to know that these people have stated that they are dedicated to advocating for me as a woman of color. And so there are just like questions um, like about culture, about uh, uh, expertise, even spirituality, like knowledge of um, language, things like that. Um, and so that is uh, one of the things that um, we are working on building. Um, and aligns with that is uh, the In the Meantime app that will go along with that so that people can access it in the in real time. And a component of that app will be um, like a text, um, text system where if you are in immediate need of assistance, then you can text that number. Um, so not like, and that does not mean emergency, right? Like that doesn't mean like, okay, I'm having heart palpitations and I need, so that is 911. And then, <laughs> but like, I am in need of an advocate because I'm at the hospital and they are not listening to me. Text that number. And so one of the goals of the um, Institute is also, um, there are folks who have already kind of opted in, but they have the, the option to opt in to, um, being a resource, like kind of the blooming circle, right? So a circle of advocates who are um, available, ready and available to assist people when in need in, in those times of um, need. And I'm working on also obtaining funding for them because I know that every single person who has already signed up is probably overworked. And so how can I support you to help you support women of color in the community? We're also doing some other things. So in December, yeah, in December, we'll, um, we'll have our first like live. We're doing a Facebook, Instagram, and uh, YouTube live. Um, it's a book discussion of Under the Skin by Linda Villarosa. We're going to do, it's a, a co-led co live book discussion. And so there are three components, like we're breaking it up into three parts. So it'll go through January. But um, so it's really being led by our interns 
uh, and then a provider. So if you're interested, let me know. <laughs> um, but but uh, so it's like a joint discussion with yeah. um, one of our interns and then a, a provider. Um, and so we'll be doing a different book every quarter. So, um, and then uh, in March, Women's History Month, we will be having our first in-person event, which is a community. Um, it's really healthy um, community brunch and conversation. So Love it. there is a lot. Yeah, we're doing a lot. And I'm, you know, I'm excited. I am overwhelmed. Okay. But I'm <laughs> excited. I, I just feel like, you know, I'm just here. I'm just here. I'm just here to do this work. Yeah. And I have my own experiences. I have resources. I have knowledge, which is also a resource. And so what, why just sit on those resources and knowledge? It's just a lot of different ways for the community to get what they need while navigating these spaces. Um, especially the in the meantime directory, because I, like I said, I was thinking about like the journey to getting answers or the journey to getting um, full care, right? That there's, here's this directory of folks who, you know, rather than like, I think when we are always looking for a new doctor or a new care provider, um, it, for, for us, especially um, as, as black and brown folks, it's more word of mouth, like who, you know, that's good. Um, because in finding them, we don't get that information about like, how do they actually take care of us? So here you have this directory that gives us a, a, an outline of like, this is how you said you care for us. This is how you said you're going to show up. And if you don't, I can hold you accountable to that because that's what you said, what my care would look like. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's a beautiful way of really getting to know, like, does this space feel safe for me? Mm -hmm. Um, can I count on this care provider to see me. And like, I love how you said to care for me, not treat me, care for me um, yeah. as a whole person, as a, coming to them. Um, I love that. And then having those on demand, I mean, you know, you're basically creating doulas for the wellness and, and medical space mm -hmm. um, outside. You know, we think about, we think about doulas in the sense of yeah, yeah. Um, birthing folks, but but doulas and providing care and providing advocacy is can be seen in the same type of realm. And I just think that that is an, um, a great way of navigating the healthcare and wellness systems where like, we don't have to lean so much into our community. Like here are these folks who, who can act, who understand the processes, the systems, the language to be able to really help me navigate that system as well. Yeah. Um, while also, this is important too, like you said, making sure providers are able to show up to mm -hmm. do that care. And so that's something I think about a lot too, because it's like, I'm, cre I've created this institute from scratch. Um, really, I do, all, I've done all the research for it, you know, like I do all the writing of the lessons the assessments, the evaluations, because it's not only assessing the con, like, do you get the content, but it's also, is this working for you? Is Do you understand what is, is the platform working for you? The, it's just also thinking like, how do I tell you that the way that you are providing care is not okay? 
when I know you're overwhelmed, when I know that you're taxed for time, when I know you're probably not paid your worth, how do I say that to you? And so how do we navigate that together? You know, because at a certain point, it's like, this is the way care should be given. It doesn't matter. Like it doesn't, <laughs> it, you know, this is, you should be, your care should be inclusive. It should be thoughtful. It should be, uh, it should be um, authentic. It should be grounded in the cultural experiences of those that you are serving. And so if that means that you need to do some more education, then that's just what you have to do. So, or you shouldn't be in the field. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know. It's just a lot. It's a, it's a lot to take in. Uh, it's a lot to expect, but that's the only way that women of color are going to survive and thrive. Really, that's the only way we're going to begin thriving. Well, you hit on it a little bit um, for my next question about how can someone, um, are there or not? How can are there any other opportunities for the community to get involved with the work? And you had um, said a little bit about interns, but yeah, what are some other ways that um, the community can tap in to get involved with the work or support um, the organization? Um, so I am currently looking for community members, um, particularly BIPOC women, um, and even, uh, their children in conversation, you know, kind of with each other about navigating care. So I'm looking for, um, BIPOC families, um, and women specifically who can share their stories, um, uh, in advocating for themselves, um, in medical and wellness, wellness spaces. So I'm looking for that. So, uh, we, and, and in doing that, we are, I am looking to, um, provide a small stipend to those who are willing to participate because it is like a, a youth, like a video, you know, um, conversation. Um, and so, and it will be edited and all that stuff. So if they are interested, um, if you can, I don't know if you can put the, my information in the, the notes for the, yeah, the show. Um, but, and then just sharing the information, just, um, I, we are really in need of providers to, uh, sign up. It is free at this time, um, to sign up on, on the website and, um, and the website is Hughes Women's Health Institute, um, because advoc adding advocacy would have been too long. So use women's health institute.com. Uh, and it is the, in the meantime directory, it's a tab there, but you can add your, um, your provider information. So any providers, we have some doulas that are listed, uh, on the site currently. Um, uh, but we're looking for, any any provider who is specifically dedicated to advocating for women of color or BIPOC women. So um, they can do that on the website. Um, but yeah, that's how. And uh, when we begin having events, <laughs> people, can, people can come to the events. They'll be free and open to the public. 
So yeah, we will make sure that contact information is in the show notes so that our community of listeners can tap in however they feel called to. Um, and just, yeah, there's so many different ways um, to support Hughes, be a part of Hughes, get support from Hughes. Um, is there anything else that you'd want to share with um, our listeners, whether that's resources, advice, anything else from Hughes, your personal experience that you you want to leave them with? Um, so I would just say if you're a um, person seeking care, just know that you have a right um, to quality, inclusive, and equitable care. You have a right to be listened to. You have a right for your experiences to be heard and um, heard and um cared for in a way that honors you um, culturally, but also just you as an individual, the things that you need. Um, You have every right to advocate for yourself and speak up no matter what that looks like. Um, Sometimes that might look like anger because at first that's how we, when we come to a place of consciousness where we're like, this is not right. Something's not feeling right here. It often comes off as anger. Um, And it's okay because nobody can dictate to you how you respond to uh, mistreatment or, yeah, problematic care. So just advocate for yourself if you ever need assistance. We are here. Like we do this for free to uh, help people navigate health and wellness systems. Um, For providers out there, uh, which includes, it's not just not limited to medical you know, like medical, uh, quote unquote, medical providers. We're talking about anybody who is responsible for caring for BIPOC women. So, um, or people, period, um, uh, to make them well. (laughs) And so for those, like just one of the things that I'm adamant about sharing is that just because you are a person of color or have been marginalized in some way, shape or form, woman of color, BIPOC woman, doesn't mean that you know everything. And so um, just for for the, for providers who are people of color or who have been marginalized in some way, just knowing that there's always something to learn, there's always something to um, enhance in your practice, your care. Um, and for providers who are not uh, folks of color, um, just, you know, not relying on, <laughs> not relying on people of color to always give you the answers. Uh, people like to say Google is your friend, but I'm also like going to uh, add the community is your friend. Um, have conversations with thought leaders in the community, health leaders in the community who are people of color. Have conversations with people in, uh, you know, our religious and spiritual practices, like get outside of the confines of, you know, your wellness or health related space and have a conversation with some other people. That's when we really began to learn and change where you become a little bit more thoughtful about the work that you're doing because you're reminded 
of others when doing that work. So that's what I would say. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your journey. Thank you for sharing the journey of Hughes. Um, this is such important work uh, and so valuable. And we are just thrilled to be able to share this with our community of listeners. Um, so yeah, we will make sure that they know where to go to get to y'all. Okay. Um, but thank you. Okay. Thanks for listening thank to Birth Stories in Color. To hear this show and other episodes, head to birthstoriesincolor.com. 